This is an RNZ podcast. The problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line, the relation of the darker to the lighter races of men in Asia and Africa, in America and the islands of the sea. Those were the words of W.E.B. Du Bois from his 1903 classic, The Souls of Black Folk. And if the past week is anything to go by, it looks like in our islands in the sea, the problem of racism could well dominate the 21st century as well. The Prime Minister has joined international leaders who have condemned as racist comments made by the US President Donald Trump. That was the lead item on RNZ's 8am news bulletin last Tuesday. Shortly after that, Morning Report's Corin Dan introduced a story like this. A Northland iwi leader says the vandalising of cultural statues is disturbing. Earlier this year, a rangatane carving in Manawatu Gorge Reserve had its wooden penis chopped off by a local who found it offensive and too big. Just last week in Gisborne, a statue of James Cook had the words Pākehā thief and this is our land scrawled on it. The former chief executive of the Māori Language Commission and now chairperson for the far north iwi Te Rarawa is Hami Piripi. Kia ora. Kia ora. But Hami Piripi wasn't convinced that graffitiing a Captain Cook statue and castrating a Māori carving had much in common. They are a different scenario because in the case of Cook, uh, you know, it, I think it, it, it can be clearly established that Cook was the beginning of the colonisation period of, of this country and, and everything that sort of came with it. Um, but in the case of the of the uh, carving in the Manawatu, it was um, penis envy, you know, and and uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, a very different scenario. That's an attack on culture. It's an attack on history. Around the same time on Tuesday, across on TVNZ Breakfast, host John Campbell was introducing a story like this. Yesterday morning, the cricket not only robbed the black caps of the World Cup, kind of, it robbed us of a chance to assess something that has already got about it, the sense of being historic. Hundreds of Māori, including iwi leaders and social workers, gathered in Auckland over the weekend for a hui about Oranga Tamariki. The hui was the first step in a Māori-led inquiry into the controversial government agency that's currently subject to intense scrutiny, including two other external inquiries from the Children's Commissioner and the Ombudsman. And that night, Māori TV's weekly news programme, Te Ao, began. As Matariki drew to a close last week, the words, This is our land and Pākehā thief, were painted on a statue of Cook in Gisborne. This year, of course, marks 250 years since Cook landed, waved his flag, fluttered his hanky, and in accordance with the doctrine of discovery, claimed these islands for his king. So for many Māori... Cook's anniversary is just another very public slap in the face. So there's no shortage of things to talk about when it comes to racism and the history of colonialism in New Zealand. The perfect time, you might think, for an in-depth documentary exploring this complicated and vitally important topic. Well, last Sunday, Television New Zealand screened the second episode of That's a Bit Racist, a two-part documentary funded by New Zealand on Air to the tune of $380,000. Log out of Facebook and turn off Twitter. Time to take a break from throwing online stones and tackle one of the most taboo subjects in modern life. Fuck off, nonsense! They're not us, we're not them. I only just the same. I think they should be in their own country. We're going downhill. 
That was the unmistakable voice of Don Brash, ending that montage of historical footage at the start of episode one of That's a Bit Racist. And it wasn't the last we were to hear from the former leader of the ACT Party. I mean, in 1840, uh, Māori had no written language, had not invented the wheel, they were still can- practising cannibalism, and slavery. Uh, none of those things we want to return to. Two minutes Googling reveals that in 1840, Māori had a far higher literacy rate than the settler community. Cannibalism had all but ceased by the 1830s, and within a decade or two, Māori would construct water wheels up and down the country and be exporting flour to Australia. The results of contact, not colonisation. Don Brash has become a sort of go-to man for anyone in the media wanting a 1950s view of race relations in New Zealand. Over the last month, he was quoted in 10 stories on stuff dealing with race issues. Over the same period, Tariana Turia, Marama Fox, Hone Harawera and Materia Ture, all former political leaders, like Brash, were quoted just four times combined. It's hard to think of any other pundit who could be so blatantly wrong about such easily verifiable facts in a topic they claim to have studied and remain so in demand by the media. Dr Arama Rata of the University of Waikato, who appeared directly after Don Brash, and that's a bit racist, had a theory on why that might be. Yeah, I think there's um, a tendency whenever we talk about um, racism or immigration or some of these really meaty topics... Uh, for those people who are afraid to sound politically in- incorrect to kind of disengage or be quiet in those conversations. And so all that's really left is the space that's occupied by those people who are not afraid of, of being perceived as racist or, or as being politically incorrect. And so they tend to dominate the conversation and dominate the headlines. The inaccuracy of Don Brash's characterisations of 1840 Aotearoa New Zealand went uncommented on, and that's a bit racist. The frenetic style of the documentary didn't really lend itself to reflection or fact-checking. And to be fair, Don Brash was something of a lone voice amongst the lineup of talking heads that ranged from academics to school kids to Oscar Kitely, who all shared examples of racism in New Zealand. In a mostly favourable review, listener TV columnist Dinah Wichtel wrote... It's not always a comfortable watch, and not just because of the subject matter. The mood is mostly light, the style short attention span. There's fascinating archival footage, but it flies by so fast a viewer risks whiplash. There are games of colonial bingo and possibly too many play school parodies, but they demonstrated the show's modus operandi. Be playful, but pack a punch. Here's an example of one of those play school parodies. It's fun and easy to make a car like this. You could make yourself one at home. We just got some boxes from Raj's Dairy and a cardboard tube and a paper plate like this. And there you have your steering wheel. <laughs> Perhaps we can all have a turn at driving today. That's a great idea, Lynette. Raj, how would you like to be our driver today? Big Ted said Raj couldn't drive the car because it isn't a Prius. <laughs> He said the people who wear silly hats and talk funny are normally Uber drivers. <laughs> Other critics were more damning. TV critic Graham Tuckett on RNZ's afternoon programme. It just came across as a little bit, I'm not going to say lip service because I'm sure the people behind it absolutely had the point to make and it's a very valid point and it's a point that cannot be made enough over and over again but it did feel like a slightly light entertainment take on something that probably deserves an actual documentary and maybe like some actual stories and some real journalism. If the documentary could claim to have introduced something new to the debate it was the attempt to quantify the level of racism in New Zealand. We asked Harvard University to help quantify racism in Aotearoa. 
They found a whopping 98.4% of Kiwis believe people are discriminated against because of their race. However, only 24.1% admitted they had personally discriminated due to race. Say what? I know, right? Does that add up to you, Chef? Yeah, nah. And the occupation most likely to discriminate? Can you guess it? Management. Oh, those managers, eh? The hirers and the firers. That's a bit racist co-host Siobhan Ruikiri and Joe Holly reflecting on some startling statistics there. There's plenty to unpack in those two figures alone. Basically everyone in New Zealand, according to the study, accepts that there is racism here and nearly a quarter of them admit to having discriminated against someone on the grounds of their race. But the point of the Harvard study is that it delves into implicit bias, the racism buried in our subconscious. Time for one last look at the Harvard bias test results. 72% of Kiwis felt they were neutral and had no racial bias. But when tested, Harvard found only 24% of Kiwis were genuinely neutral. And the doco did have some examples of how that implicit racism might be manifesting itself. A recent report found 95% of Pākehā babies were resuscitated. 92% of Māori. 89% for Pacifica. And 86% for Indian babies. You could usefully spend a whole documentary looking at how racism impacts on health outcomes or educational ones, or, well, the list just goes on and on. Last week's RNZ Insight programme was a great example of journalism focusing on just one aspect of how a Pākehā-dominated system has negatively impacted on Māori. It would be more than 20 years before I'd see my birth parents again. My birth mother... Uh, my birth mother told me of her sadness, how she missed me. That was Labour MP Paul Eagle recounting his experience of adoption during his maiden speech. The MP for Rongatai featured in How Closed Adoption Robbed Māori Children of Their Identity. And reporter Teanawa Hurahanganui showed that it didn't have to be like that. <laughs> Strumming the guitar comes naturally to my dad, John Hurihanganui. He's playing a waiata he wrote for his dad in my koro a Pirahama. But koro a Pirahama was not my dad's birth father. He raised him through whāngai, a traditional Māori practice similar to adoption, where a child is placed into the care of someone in the wider whānau. No gimmicks, no frenetic editing, just a focused look at the issues of adoption from a Māori point of view.